Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 18 through verse 28. You know, we all kind of own a decade that we grew up in. As you think back, (laughs) some of you don't have to think back that far. But we usually, uh, we grow up in a certain decade with certain things going on. You know, you have the 70s crowd, or the 60s crowd, or the 50s crowd, or the 80s crowd, and then now newly the 90s, and you know, the 90s crowd, they're all, I mean, they're in their 30s. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's funny how things change over time, but you know, our decades are usually defined by music certain kind of music as it rolled out that decade. They're defined by culture, what's happening in the world around us, what was going on, um, the, uh, as well as cars, new cars that rolled out during that time. Most people can remember their first car. How many of you remember your first car? Everybody remembers that, right? There's a lot of firsts we remember. Uh, our first car, our first kiss. We remember our first kiss. Um, so we remember the cars and good times, you know, thing, hanging out with friends and doing stuff when life was simple. You all remember when life was simple? And all the people said, Amen. Amen. All we want to do is get older and be responsible. And then when we have to be, we're like, I want to be younger and irresponsible again. But you know, we go from then to now and we think about how that change has taken place and the change that takes place in our lives. And that's what's happening in the latter part of this chapter. He's talking about from then to now. And so as we dig into this, we're going to see as he talks about what things were like under the law and things what things are like under the new commandment under grace. And so we're going to, as we travel through here, we're going to see the former commandment. We're going to see the former priest and then we're going to see Jesus as uh, Jesus as a fitting high priest for us. And so we're going to pick up, in, pick up in verse 18, and we're going to read through verse 28. For on the one hand, there is a, a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, and on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath, through one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much more also Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, 
first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered himself, offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our high priest. We thank you that he is a son. We thank you, Father, that he is more than able. We thank you for his sacrifice. And Father, as we walk through these verses today, I pray that you'll open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our feet to obey. And that we'll walk with the joy that we have in you and, Father, the things that would constrain us, the things that we think are obstacles, will only be that which gives us insight and equips and preps us for the ministry and the things that you lay have before us. And so I thank you for all that you've done. And, Father, we give you the glory in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we begin with the former commandment here in verses 18 through 22. The writer contrasts both of them and how they affected the priests who served under them. The ones who served under the law and those who served under the new command, under uh, grace, if you will. And so the former commandment he calls weak and useless because it made nothing perfect. Now, which is interesting because we always say, well, the, Jesus did not come to do away with the law, that it was an expression of God, that there was nothing wrong with it. And here he calls it weak and useless. I have found that spoons are hard to cut with, but they're not hard to eat your soup with. When you try to do something with an instrument that was not made for that purpose, it is useless, right? That's what he's saying here. He's not saying that the law is to be rejected, that it's no good, that it's useless to make us perfect. Because it could not do that. That's not what it was for. That was not the purpose of the law. It was meant, the law was meant to reveal, as a schoolmaster, we read in Romans, it was meant to not only reveal our sin, but even increase sin. And you go, wow, it's meant to increase it in the Bible. Think about this. Have you ever been told, don't touch that cake or don't eat anything before our dinner? And how many of you had no thought of that until somebody said, don't do it? That's how this works. It increases sin by saying what you should and shouldn't do. That's why giving people a list of do's and don'ts does not help them live godly in Christ Jesus. It doesn't work that way. We already have everything pertaining to life and godliness, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so we have to be careful that we don't try to apply God's word in a way that it's not meant to work. And so it's it, <laughs> he moves from there to the new, the new commandment. He says the new commandment is a better hope. Through it we draw near to God. It actually removes our sin and doesn't just cover it up. Because remember, in the Old Testament, when they made a sacrifice for sin, it did not remove the sin. 
from the person. It was a covering for sin. And so their sins were covered, but it wasn't removed. You can't be perfect or perfected until the sin is removed. And that's what he's referring to here. And so it's a better hope because we're not hoping in something that can't get us there. We have the ability now in Christ, under the new commandment, under Christ, under grace, to draw near to God. They didn't. One was doing it for them. They represented them. Now we each have it. So it moves to us to have the opportunity to walk with him. See, priest under the law. So he contrasts these priests. The priest under the law, they became priests without an oath. Well, how did they become priests back then in the, the Old Testament in the, as they uh, sojourned, if you will? They were born into it. They were born into the tribe of Levi. They were the ones who were the priests. There wasn't a commitment. There was nothing that they did. There wasn't an issue of, of making sure that they were holy so they could serve. They were just born into it. But then... Jesus gave an oath. And he has sworn to be a priest forever. See, he's committed to us. There's a difference. See, Jesus' commitment or his oath is the guarantee of, the, of a better covenant. See, there's a better way than self-effort to please God. There's a better way. That was never meant to be the way. The problem is that's what's preached today. Fix your life. Stop acting bad. Stop doing this. Don't run around. Don't make sure that you do these things in your life. And I want you to know this. How many, I mean, don't raise your hands, but how many of you has that ever kept out of church? Right? I'm with you. Who wants to go hear that and see and feel bad? Yeah, come to church where you can feel bad. Let's put that on the sign. That's not what we're called to, ladies and gentlemen. We're called to grace and peace and love and hope. And that's found in Christ and in walking with Him. And even when Mark is doing something he shouldn't do, or is getting frustrated because somebody's driving 20 miles under the speed limit and he's trying to get to church. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> There's a better way. There's hope in Christ. There's a better way than just focusing on my behavior. Aren't you glad it's not up to us to maintain our salvation? Oh, you want to talk about no hope? <laughs> That's no hope. I couldn't do it. How would you know you when you've done enough? What kind of sorry salvation is that? Well, if you believe you can lose your salvation, that's what you believe. If I can lose it, that means I can do something to lose it. Jesus gave us eternal life, and that's eternal. That's forever. It never goes away. Now, people are worried that if you tell somebody that, 
They're going to just go do whatever they want to do. They're going to live however they want to live. You know what I found? If somebody's genuinely saved, they don't want to live that way. Why not tell everybody the truth and reveal who is really saved and who isn't? Amen. You know, the worst thing we can do, I'm going to tell you the worst thing you ever have in your life is a false assurance of your salvation. I'll tell you this, if you're lost today, don't be embarrassed by it. We all started there. If the Lord starts convicting you of that, you need to respond to Him. The worst thing you can do is walk out of here and go, oh yeah, I'm good, I'm good. And talk yourself into it. Let me tell you though, when the Holy Spirit speaks, He's clear. We cannot give people a false hope. And so we see the former commandment, but we're going to dig a little further into the former priests. The reason there were so many priests under the law is because their death kept them from continuing their work. You know, it's hard to work when you're dead. You ever, you ever said to a dead man, hey, let's get going. You know, most of the time when you, when you walk, I'll tell you what I want people to say when they come by my casket. I want somebody to say, he moved. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> but we don't say get going, you know, get, you know, there's no work after we're dead. The beauty is Jesus ain't dead. He's alive today. And although he gave his life on the cross, on our behalf, he overcame sin and death and is alive forevermore. And that's the difference between these guys and our high priest. But see, Jesus <laughs> continues forever holding his, high, his priesthood permanently. So, there's a reason for that. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. See, when we come to Christ, when you respond to Christ, you're drawing near to God. When you respond to his leading, you're drawing near to the Lord. You want to, you know, we all talk about wanting to draw near. Have you ever met people in your life? How many of you have ever had a counselor as a friend that weren't? You didn't make friends because they were your counselor, but you knew somebody who was a counselor that was a friend of yours. I had a, I had a guy who was a, a friend that I met through class, and he was a counselor, and he counseled in one of the largest churches in uh, Atlanta area. And this guy was just so good. You always wondered if he could just like see right through your soul, you know, because he was, he was so insightful. And um, I think that that is some of the reason people don't draw near to Christ. Because we kind of see ourselves, don't we? To a degree. And some of it we don't like, right? And we're afraid that if we draw near to him, he's going to see it too. I'm about to ruin that for you. He already sees it. 
And he still wants you to draw near to him. Isn't that the coolest thing? Yeah. No! <laughs> I don't want him to see it! But the, 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 here's the beauty. He actually forgave it. And he loves you anyway. And he draws... He drew near to you by his death on the cross. And wants you to respond and draw near to him. That's one reason that he holds his priesthood permanently. That's one of the things he does. It also tells us that he always lives to make intercession for them. Imagine that. How many of you have ever had somebody say, I've prayed for you today? Or I'm praying for you. There's such a really cool thing that comes with that. That somebody's taken an interest in your life so much that they're going to reach out and lift you to the, to the Lord in prayer. But how would you feel if Jesus walked in here and said, I'm praying for you? what he said right there. Jesus is praying for you. Yeah. I wish I knew what he was praying about. <laughs> <laughs> but he's praying for us, man. That's awesome. It's awesome. And so... His work as a priest is, is contrasted to the work they did as priests, the old Levitical priesthood. See, priests under the law, they didn't save people, and their prayers ended when they died. So why not choose Jesus? Why would we choose to continue to go that way? Listen, Jesus is a better way, for sure. Hands down. And so Jesus, then we see Jesus in the last part of this, as a fitting high priest. See, he's a fitting high priest because of who he is. They were born, and they were born into the priesthood. And because of that, it was whoever came along. Jesus is a high priest because of who he is. And he lays that down here in Hebrews. So he's holy. You know, when we think of holy, we just think that that's a thing that deserves, that we ascribe to God. That sounds like, oh, right? It's holy. You know, how many of you ever looked up the word holy? Holy means dedicated to God for a sacred purpose, essentially. So if you're dedicated to God, or if it's, um, you could even say, um, set apart. And so he's set apart for a purpose. He's set apart. He's holy. Service to God. In interceding for us. He was innocent. He was innocent. That doesn't mean that he doesn't understand. You know, we say, well, they're so innocent, they just don't understand. That's not the kind of innocent. He was completely innocent. He, had, he, was, he was perfect. 
You know, it's really interesting. I saw this definition of innocent, and I thought, wow. It really describes him. Innocent, not responsible for directly involved in an event, yet suffering its consequences. Like an innocent bystander, right? And I thought, how appropriate does that apply to Christ? Not responsible for sin, or directly involved in any event of sin, yet suffering its consequences. That's pretty powerful. That spoke to me. Because that's exactly... He meets that definition of innocent for sure. He was undefiled or he was pure. He doesn't go before God and have to intercede for his own sins before he can intercede before us. He's 100% pure. He was separated from sinners. Listen, he didn't come from the population of the sinful. Because sin is passed through the man. The seed that gets passed down. And so when he was virgin born, he was born perfect. He didn't have a sin nature. And so he was separated from us in that respect. He was exalted above the heavens. You know, the Bible says there is no other name among heaven whereby we must be saved. That his name is high and lifted up. And then he was exalted following his sacrifice and seated at the right hand of the Father. He does not need to offer sacrifice for his own sins. He was sinless. That's what we've talked about. He does not need to offer up daily sacrifices for the sins of people. Because when Jesus died, he died once for all sin. When he died, when he said to tell us die, it is finished. He had completed the work of the sacrifice. And so when Jesus did it, we don't have to keep redoing it every year. We don't have to keep renewing that. You know, I, I hear that all the time. And we need to, we need a revival around here. We've got too many backslidden Christians. You ever heard that before? You know what I... I Alright. Don't give me a little leeway this morning. Sure. I don't think we have backslidden Christians. I think we have Christians that don't understand how to walk with the Spirit of God. And because of that, we do what we know. And if we don't teach and equip people and show them how it works, then they're going to stay in that same cycle of behavior. And they're never going to get to the point where they can enjoy the victory they have in Christ. And that's the problem. I think that's why we are here as a church. I think somehow we have to communicate that to the community. Because they're in a cycle. They're all frustrated. Half the people out there, <laughs> I think it's more than half, but half the people out there say they're church going. And you know what the truth is? We did a study of all the evangelical churches in, in this area. 
And if we filled every seat for two services on Sunday, we could seat 20% of Pflugerville. Just Pflugerville. 20% of the people who claim to be Christians. And we have a few couple of open seats this morning. So what does that tell you? They're frustrated. They're burned out. You ever been burned out as a Christian? Welcome to the crowd. Look around. I have been too. Ever wanted to quit? Yep. Ever actually quit? Close. Ever told God you quit? I have. Chief of sinners. (laughs) Listen. I get it. I know the pain and anguish of what it means to follow. I know what it means to not be motivated and sit there. Not have an energy about Christ because I'm just tired. Because I'm drawing from my own resources instead of from His. I have been there. I've done it all. I've done well, I've done it all. But I've done it. So I get it. That's why we need Jesus interceding for us. I'm so glad he doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. He doesn't need to offer up daily sacrifices for people because he did it. That's our gospel story. See, the priests appointed by the law were weak. But the oath after the law appointed his son made perfect forever. Isn't that cool? And so we have an eternal advocate, and his name is Jesus. He is advocating for you. Let me tell you, if you're madly in love with him, he's advocating for you. If you're curious about him, he's advocating for you. If church is nice, but you really don't want him to invade your life, you do it because it's kind of the right thing to do. He's advocating for you. I've been in every one of those camps. There was a time I went to church because it was the right thing to do. Not because I wanted to be there. I didn't want to be there. What the honest answer? Here's the honest answer. I didn't want to be there. All I heard was all the ways that I fell short all the time. Who wants to be reminded of that? What good does that bring? But you know what made a difference in my life? We're gonna just we're gonna just go with this. It's when somebody cared about me. It's when somebody cared about me. It's amazing, the power of God. You know, we're commanded to love one another. And when you love one another, that doesn't mean that we just enjoy your your person. How many of you understand that love is a commitment? And love can be difficult at times, right? If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Or been married ever. It's difficult. It can be a real challenge. There's times you do things you don't feel like doing it. But we're called to love one another. Oh, well, that's church. I mean, you're just awesome. We love you. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a genuine, authentic commitment to walk together, 
to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and give all your heart to the Lord. And because we've done that, we're there for one another. That means that when I'm hurting, my brother's weeping with me. That means when I'm rejoicing, my brother's rejoicing with me. That means when I'm derailing, my brother's there to help get me back on my rails. You ever been derailed? You know, we want to use the word correction. I don't think that, I think that that's, the only time we use the word correction is an afterthought. Wow, thanks for the correction. When you go to someone, you can't go with the attitude of correcting them. You go to the, with an attitude of helping and restoring. Our ministry is not correction. We have not been given the ministry of correction. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry. Our ministry is restoration. We're to restore. How many, of you, how many of you ever watched some of these restoration shows? Right? When they start, maybe the engine is gummed up and it's not working right. Or the paint job has gotten kind of faded. My paint job's a little bit faded. Chipped on the corners. A little rust starting to come through. And sometimes you have to take some things off that were once good. To get back to functionality. And that's hard. Because we hold on to the good things. I do the same thing. I was just telling somebody a story this morning about this place. And we want to hold on to that moment. And hold on to those good things and say that's what it's about. Why can't we get back there? Instead of saying this is what God is up to now. If we're going to be restored, if we're going to be functional again, we have to allow things to be stripped off and things applied. That's the way it works. Thank God that it's Jesus Christ doing that. (laughs) Because he's very gentle and patient. And when he does it, it doesn't feel accusative. You ever had somebody try to help you and it feels like an accusation about how bad you are? Sometimes that's a reflection of you too, isn't it? Because of how you take things and not the person that's delivering it. Sometimes it's also a reflection of them. Because if I'm already irritated with somebody and they try to come and help me, I'm not going to hear them. we have an eternal advocate. His name is Jesus Christ. So let me leave you with something this morning. If the Lord, if the Holy Spirit hadn't already done that. What do we learn from our study on from then till now? The way God does things is always better than when we try to do something on our own for God. If we will just let him have his way, Instead of trying to help him out all the time, it's going to be it's such a it's such a better journey. <laughs> well, let me help you out, God, with that. I mean, here's here's God who knows everything, created everything. In seven days, created everything you see here. We're still discovering new things, 
You know, it's so funny. I was listening to this, um, was he was an astrophysicist or an astrologist or whatever. And he's making all these definitive statements. And, and I just, I, want, I started, actually started laughing out loud. He's making all these definitive statements about what we know about space. And then he says, but there's so much we don't know. We're discovering all the time. If that's true, you can't make these statements. <laughs> what you have to say is, I don't know. This is the things we think we know. But we're still seeking, right? That would be more accurate. And it, it, but they'll base beliefs on that. They base beliefs on theories and, and other things. And so we have to... <laughs> We have to learn to trust and rest in the Lord. And I want to tell you something. If you don't trust Him, that's okay. But I would ask you to be honest enough that you would tell Him that. Say, Lord, I don't know that I can trust you here. I know that's wrong. I'm ashamed of it. Maybe you're not ashamed of it. But I'm going to put myself out there. And you show me. How many of you have ever heard of Romans 8.1? <laughs> How many of you ever heard of Romans 8.4? Oh, can you edit that one? <laughs> Romans 8.1... We all know that verse. There is therefore no condemnation, right? But I want you to hear this in context. This is my next one. Number two. Eight, one through four. There's, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was... Through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He commanded, he can, excuse me, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's how the two come together. That's why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because he overcame it. And when we're in Him, we also overcome. And so number two is we've been set free to walk according to the Spirit. You are called to listen to the Spirit of God. You are called to hear Him. And if you say, I can't hear Him, talk to Him about that. I am willing to listen. I am willing to obey. If you will speak, I will do it. And when he does, you better do it. Parents, have you ever said, why do I even tell that kid anymore? They won't do what I tell them. Right? So if you understand that, is that the way God feels about you? If we feel that way, how do you think God feels? A godly life is discovered as you learn to walk in the Spirit. Not as you start to learn to lead, to live exactly like God's Word says. That's not what a godly life is about. But what I've found is, as I'm following the Spirit, I'm usually not engaged in those things that the Bible calls sin. 
If I'm following the Spirit, I'm not lying. I'm not murdering people. I don't do those things. I'm not stealing from you. Because I'm walking in the Spirit. He doesn't lead me to that. We don't become godly by not doing that. It's an evidence of whether you're following the Spirit of God or not. Those are the indicator lights on your dash. That should you that be going on, that you need to, hey, wait a minute, I'm not following the Spirit. That's what they're for. To indicate where you're headed. Three, joining the Christian life isn't found by doing the right things. It's found in the journey and the moments we share in obedience to the Lord. When he says, hey, Mark, I want you to spend a few minutes here talking with with Bubba. And actually listen to that and do it. Y'all ever heard the phrase, it's better to give than receive? How many, how many you get, how many you get a huge charge or joy when you're able to give to somebody or give? Right? Yeah. Why is that? Because it's an outflow, right? Now, here's the hard part. <laughs> look at how much, how much of us, or look at how we say that that impacts us in a positive way. It requires somebody on the other side to receive, though. Mm-hmm. How many of you have a hard time receiving? <laughs> I'm with you. It kind of depends on who's cooking. It. I'm just. <laughs> but we use we don't you know because we want we think that that means we're not enough. I want you to know something. You're not enough. You're not enough. And if you've not learned that, it's coming. I'm learning, I'm relearning that. I'm not enough. But he's enough. And that's the position we're supposed to be in. And stop trusting in ourselves, but start relying on Him. And watch what happens. You know, there was, a, I read a story this week. There was this missionary, he was a missionary recruit to Venezuela. And he was struggling with the language, he didn't know Spanish. And he was going to this church. And he walks in, he said, You know, I'm. He's looking for a seat. There's no seats except on the front row, of course. Not like here. Listen, you guys are welcome to come sit with me on the front row at any time. Good to know. Maybe. Oh. oh. <laughs> and so he was looking for a place to sit down. So he sits down on the front row and he's like, man, I don't understand the language. So I'm going to just do so picks this guy out next to him. He said, I'm just going to, when he claps, I'm going to, you know, when he's standing, I'm going to stand. And so they're going through the service and they're singing and he starts clapping. So he's clapping with him. And, um, and so that was going well. And then 
they stood up and he stood up with them. And then um, this is going through the service. And then at the end of the service, the pastor was saying something and the man stood up that he was following. He stood up with him and there was a gasp that went over the congregation. And he looked around and nobody else was standing but the two of them. So he sat back down. On his way out the door, the, the uh, preacher asked him, he said, uh, I take it you don't speak Spanish. <laughs> he said it to him in English. And, he, and so he was kind of relieved because he could talk to him. And the missionary recruit said, no, I don't. It's that obvious? So he thought he had gotten away with it, right? He said, well, yes, it's that obvious. He said, I announced that the Acosta family had a newborn baby, and with a proud father, please stand up. <laughs> and so the moral of the story is this. We have to be careful who we're following. <laughs> we have to be careful who we're following. Listen, even though it may seem right, it may not be right. The truth matters. We don't follow ourselves. We don't follow the latest trend. I've watched it. I've watched it over I've watched it over decades in church ministry. How the new latest flash will come up and everybody will do it. I knew churches who were converting to purpose-driven church. And they hired pastors to bring them in and do that. Let me tell you, we don't need a church in California to find our purpose. God defined it right there in that book. And if we'll listen to him, he'll tell us what our calling is in this whole thing. And if we're willing to be submitted and have our heart before God right and not let anything get in the way, he can use us here and he's going to show us each what our part is. That's the way God set it up. And that's what I want to be a part of. That's funny because Steve and I were just talking about that, how church is presented. It's presented as come join us. This is who we are. Instead of, why don't you come be a part of what God's building here? There's a very different feel to it. Because, is this the church? Or is this the church? Right? So, if God is building His church, and you want to join God in what He's doing... That would naturally mean that we participate with one another... Maybe that's why we're supposed to love one another and be in a relationship together. <gasps> Those inner links. You ever built a building that wasn't connected to each other? What happens to that building? That's the Greek word for it means it falls apart. <laughs> it doesn't last. It blows off. It blows over. And so the question is, are, you, are we following Jesus? Are we following ourselves? Are we following somebody else? Or a combination of people? I've heard that one. Oh, I follow lots of people. We are called to follow one. His name is Jesus Christ. And if he speaks to us in multiple ways, so be it. But it better be him. We're, 
We cannot miss what God has for us this day. See, Jesus is better than anything we could come up with. I don't know about you. I mean, you guys seem pretty smart to me. Maybe that's because of where I'm starting from. But I'm not smart enough to know what's best for my, for my life all the time. I have limited sight. I have limited knowledge. But God has perfect knowledge. So why wouldn't I go to him? If he said, if you need wisdom, seek, seek me and I'll give it to you liberally. That's the only part of liberalism I take. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> I want liberal wisdom from God. I want him to give to me liberally, not liberal wisdom. I want him to give his wisdom to me without restriction. And you know what? Do you know what wisdom is? I'm going to leave you with this. Do you all know what wisdom is? It doesn't mean that you're just smart. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. So if I'm seeking wisdom, if I'm seeking his direction of what he's up to right now in my life and around me, don't you think he's going to show me that because he wants me to participate in that? Does that make sense to you? That's what wisdom is. Read it. Read everywhere it shows up and ask yourself, does that fit the definition? If you think it doesn't, let's talk about the verse. Maybe the Lord's going to teach me something. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.